All right, on today's show, our guest is Chris Elgar. Chris took the role of Vice President and Deputy Superintendent of Prudential Supervision at the BCFSA in June of last year, 2019. And what a 12-month or 18-month period I'm sure it's been. Uh, with 35 years in the financial services industry, Chris has notably been the Chief Risk Officer at Manual Life Bank. And you worked also at OSFI, which for those who are not familiar, that's the Office of the Superintendent of Financial Institutions, as both a relationship manager within the supervision group and then also as a managing director for capital markets. Mm-hmm. Chris, I'm excited to have you on the show today, so let's get started. Thank you. Well, thank you very much, Andrew, for inviting me. Yeah. So for those listeners uh, to know what we're going to talk about today, we are going to d- focus on three themes. Uh, we're going to take a few moments just to talk about who BCFSA is. Okay. Uh, we're also going to talk about the credit unions uh, in BC and the credit union system as a whole, uh, as we have a lot of listeners who are very interested in that um, that uh, topic. And then I also want to get a uh, touch on your views of industry tr- trends and what's yeah. going on in that, in, in that space. So let's start off with that first question. Sure. Let's talk about BCFSA. What does it stand for and, and what is this organization today? Well, it, BCFSA is a BC Financial Services Authority. Okay. It's a new crown corporation. It was stood up, which is the proper term for a crown corporation, on November 1st, 2019. Okay. Um, and that's actually the successor to the Financial Institutions Commission, or FICOM, uh, which has been historically, um, as BCFA is today, the regulator uh, for credit unions, pension funds, insurance companies, trusts, and the mortgage brokers. Okay. Okay. Um, it is, uh, as I say, it's a crown corporation. So it's outside of core government. We can talk about how that transition yeah. occurred. Uh, it provides a lot more um, accountability to our stakeholders. Okay. Um, it's more transparency in terms of our financial statements, our funding, allocation of funds, um, and generally gives us a little more autonomy to, to deal with the stakeholders based on our mandate that we receive from the government. Okay. Well, that's a good uh, segue into my first question, sure. which is what is the difference between what used to be FICOM and now BCFSA, and you've Mm -hmm. already highlighted some of those. So let's start with um, transparency, because that's always something that's really Mm -hmm. important to me. How is it different? And I have to admit myself, as a lot of listeners probably don't really know the difference between a arm of the BC government versus a crown corp of a BC government. I think the simplest way, Andrew, to look at it is um, we're established like any other public company, as it were, although okay. you know, we're owned by the government. Yes. Because um, that's as from technically, that is the term. We're, yeah. owned, we're owned by the government. Um, we have a board of directors. Okay. That's where the finan- FICOM had uh, commissioners. Okay. Um, we have the fiduciary, the board currently has a fiduciary responsibility uh, for the oversight of the organization. We yeah. have a separate budget. We're not part of core government. FICOM was part of core government. Okay. So the transparency comes out when you'll start looking at the finances and some of the numbers. Okay. Um, for example, you know, the budget was part of the Ministry of Finance. We have a separate budget in, as a Crown Corporation. As okay. in BC Hydro has a, has a separate budget as a right. Crown BC Ferries. BC Ferries, exactly. Right. Okay. So use that as an analogy. Um, well, we are just in the financial services industry. Okay. Um, we administer the same six acts that FICOM did. Okay. We have the same responsibilities and oversight with regards to regulations, guidelines, advisories, supervision aspects for credit unions, um, insurance and trust companies, pension funds, mortgage brokers. Okay. So those roles are still the same. Yeah. Uh, we have fine-tuned and evolved it to become modern, effective, and efficient. 
which was part of our mandate when we were stood up. Okay. Uh, because the financial services industry, as you and many of the, and all the listeners know, is changing very quickly yeah. and evolving. Yeah. So it's incumbent on the regulator to do the same. Okay. And hence the, the the move to a crown corporation. Okay. And well, I know we'll get more into this with mm-hmm. the credit unions, but from a regulatory perspective, have things changed much going from um, uh, what do you call a division of the of yeah. a, to, to becoming a crown corp? Has the actual regulatory, like day to day regulatory aspects of BCS FSA is that fundamentally different, or is that still corely the core the same? The core is the same. Mm-hmm. I think the approach is different. Um, yeah. <clears throat> just prior to the establishment of BCFSA, I, I joined BCFSA as you mentioned. Yeah. Uh, so has the the CEO and the chief statutory officer Blair Morrison. Um, in fact, we joined within about six weeks of each other. Okay. Um, and together with the the executive leadership team um, from FICOM, and we're now BCFSA. We are looking to modernize the approach towards regulation and supervision. Okay. So, for example, um, we're in the process of uh, communicating a roadmap for regulation to the industry. Yeah. What does that mean? What are we going to look at? What is some of the feedback we're, we're taking from industry that we should be focusing on? With regards to supervision, we are looking uh, and focused very exclusively on risk-based, forward-looking, proportionate supervision. Okay. Um, which, you know, it sounds, well, everybody should be doing risk-based supervision, but that doesn't always happen. There was a different methodology and approach. And you said proportionate. What do you mean by that? Well, proportionate is um, something I know certainly in the credit union space, when you have such a diversity of sizes, complexities, and um, asset base and membership numbers, et cetera. Yeah. um, Holding one credit union all to the same standard, all the credit unions, rather, excuse me, to the same standard, um, in some cases, that makes sense, yes. but proportionately, you would you have expectations of credit unions differently. For yeah. example, yeah, you have Union Bay Credit Union, Union Bay versus, versus Van, City. Van City. Yes, <laughs> I mean, like, uh, you know, I, or even if you look in the in the in the, um, in the banking, uh, you know, Royal Bank, yeah, you know, versus, versus General Bank of Canada, yeah, or even you know, um, Canadian Western Bank. Canadian Western, I mean, sure. it's a large institution, sure, but it's not quite the same. That's right. right? Yeah. It doesn't mean it's one's better or worse. Does it mean that the fundamental table stakes required yeah. for good governance and risk management aren't there? Yeah. But the intensity of the work that we would do, uh, the way we would look at them, some of the expectations would be different. Yeah. That's proportionate. Okay. All right. Good. Well, we're going to go into that because I, I think that's are. a really yeah. important uh, it is point. A, it is important. Um, let's finish off in talking about the BC FSA. You mentioned you have six mandates. I'm assuming those six mandates, uh, or no, sorry, six acts. Sorry, six, six acts. Six acts yeah. around these themes. So let, let's start with. Because um, we are going to spend a lot of time on credit unions, so let's start with some of the other ones. So, pension plans. What, what, what specifically? Which types of pension plans do you regulate, and and what's involved there? Yeah, well, let me let me t- talk to you the six acts that we we take. Care okay, of. sure. Okay? First, it's a credit union and corporation act. Yeah. The financial institution act, the FIA, which is really the core. Okay. Um, there's your insurance act. Yes. There's the captive insurance act, uh, mortgage brokers act, and of course, then there's the pension benefit standards act. Okay. Okay. So those are the the acts that BCFSA administer. So um, provincially regulated um, pension funds. There's okay. several hundred of them. Is there really? Yeah. There's quite yeah. a few um, here in British Columbia. So they they are administered through the um, deputy superintendent for pensions okay. and his team. They look at um, you know some of the assumptions on the investment strategies of administrative elements therein. Yeah. Uh, they'll do some. Um, supervisory work to ensure that the governance of those are, are correct 
um, and they're meeting some of the, the expected standards. Okay. So just to, to dumb this down for layman's terms, we're talking about pensions for people, uh, for people like firefighters and anyone, yeah, anyone has a public that's registered like, and, and public pu- public service. The, the, the big one that has like all the teachers and yeah, that could be could, those or could be the vast majority of them are much smaller private are pension plans. Oh, oh okay, ones, right? gotcha. Okay, and this is why you have several hundreds of them. Yeah, uh, but these would be because your BC would be more predominantly BC, BC based. Yeah. Uh, okay, primarily. gotcha. Yeah, primarily. okay. okay. Um, now, when we look at insurance and trust, we have um, BC regulate uh, BC uh, incorporated in- insurance companies and trust companies. Yeah, but we also have extra provincial. There's 208 or so. Uh, insurance companies operating in BC, but their head offices are in a different province. Okay, um, they're regulated by the uh, the regulators in that jurisdiction. Yeah, and basically what they're doing is operating here. So um, it's a home host relationship okay. where the home regulator would have the accountability for that insurance company or trust company. However, because they're operating in British Columbia, we have an obligation and and a duty to ensure that we understand what they're doing and how they're doing it. Okay. So there's a correspondence with the home regulator, and as the host regulator, we work with them. Okay. And for listeners that to familiarize them between the two uh, insurance entities, you mentioned insurance and, and captive insurance. Can you explain to in listeners what that means? What, what is the difference between the two? I'm trying to think of a way to, to um, give you a simple explanation on that. Let me mm-hmm. think about that one. Okay. Well, put it in simple terms. Yeah. Let's come back to that. Okay. One. And the uh, the other one is uh, uh, is mortgage brokers. Mortgage brokers, yeah. So and that now is mortgage brokers. That's not under your no. domain itself, but you, I'm sure, familiar. Yeah, it, so what is one of my colleagues? Yeah. yeah. So what what does BCFSA do with respect to overseeing mortgage brokers in BC? Well, it, one of the key mandates that we have um, from the government is that is market conduct and consumer protection. Okay. So a lot of it is with particularly in the mortgage brokers, it's uh, the market conduct of the brokers, for example, yeah. protecting the integrity of the transaction. People go to a mortgage broker and are looking for uh, funding for one of the biggest purchases they'll ever make, if not the biggest purchase. Sure. Yeah. And we, you know, that market conduct element and investigating whether or not um, the uh, market con uh, the the market conduct of the either the, the bro- brokerage agency or the individual brokers uh, meet the standards of the act and the expectations for uh, consumer protection. Okay. So there there's an investigative element. There's a market conduct element. Um, you know, there's fines. Or there's uh, I think almost five thousand mortgage brokers. Is there really in, in British Columbia? Yeah. Um, I know quite a few myself. I mean, that's generally how I I've got my own mortgages yeah. is through a mortgage broker. Yeah. I find that. Uh, I mean, I, I work in a similar type of world uh, with with my professional work. So, um, yeah, I, I see the value of using a mortgage broker personally. Well, you know, it's interesting. Just shortly after BCFSA was uh, stood up as yep. a crown corporation on the first of... I only learned that term last year. I didn't, yeah, yeah. I didn't really, uh, on November 1st, a couple of weeks I'd later. I'd never heard it before either. Yeah. A when couple they, of weeks after I stood up, I, I'm thinking somebody. Yeah. You know, well, back yeah. when I was in my dating days, when I you know you went got for dinner and I got stood up, <laughs> happened a lot. Yeah, the uh, the uh, my kids stand us up every once in a while right. too. There you go. But um, no, uh, just about three weeks after we were established on the first of uh, November, we were advised by the government that the um, we are going to be looking to merge with the office of the superintendent of, of um, real estate. Okay. And the real estate council of British Columbia. 
right. to create a, 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 the one financial service regulator. Yeah. Because um, there's been a lot of controversy around their world with the... There has been. The, and then a lot of discussion. Yeah. Um, that Those activities are underway. Okay. Um, you know, uh, coming together is not going to happen until sometime in 2021. Yeah. Um, but the process is, has, has started. And the rationale behind that, to your point about mortgage brokers and all that, it's, it's really the, I don't want to use the cradle to grave analogy, but when you look at it from financial services point of view, and this is how I think BCFSA has evolved and a bit different than what FICOM was, is we're looking at the functionality. We're looking at the movement of, uh, of, of products as opposed to individual institutions. Mm-hmm. So um, a young family, they want to buy a house. They deal with a real estate agent. Okay, they find a house. Now we're going to need to find a mortgage. They go to a mortgage broker. They just deal right. with the mortgage broker. Now we're going to have to likely deal with a credit union or a bank, but let's yeah. keep it in the credit union space. Now we got a credit union we're dealing right. with. Right. Okay, I have a job. I'm going to have a pension. I have a pension right. fund that's good registered point. in this British Columbia. This is a good Columbia. picture. Yeah. Um, now I've got cash that I'm earning, and my pay, I'm going to put that into the deposit base into my credit union. Yeah. I'm going to need a car. And then, you know, you can see that you can yeah. see the 1950s and those images, you know, the house and the children and everything comes yeah. along. Uh, so huh, it becomes a whole lifetime relationship. Yeah. Um, and the financial services industry now is inter- integrated to such an extent. Yeah. Uh, we are moving towards a much more integrated regulation, regulator. Uh, the regulation is becoming more integrated. And certainly the supervision has to be much more nimble and reflective of that new reality. Okay. Okay. Well, that's really, that's a, paints a really good picture. A couple more questions I have before we move to the theme of credit unions. Um, One is because you used to work at OSFI Mm -hmm. and just for those listeners to understand OSFI, the Office of the Superintendent of Financial Institutions is the regulatory body that oversees all the banks in Canada, Mm -hmm. as well as uh, the few that are left of uh, federal trusts Mm -hmm. and these new federally regulated credit unions of which there are two today. Right. Um, and I'm sure they cover other things. But now, is OSFI a Crown Corp? Um, no, it, it is. I, I, I could be correct. I could stand corrected yeah. on this one. Um, OSFI is a separate entity and it uh, operates under its own act. It does as well. Okay. Yeah. At the federal level. Operationally um, and regulatory wise, because you've worked there and you're now here in BC working for BCFSA, formerly FICOM, what is the difference in your view between the two? I mean, is there, is like when you look oh. at kind of like day to day, activities of OSFI and what they do to regulate the banks versus um, the credit these, unions? Yeah. Well, I think the biggest difference is, is scale. Scale. Right. I mean, you, the big six banks in Canada, which fall under OSFI's purview, Yeah. Uh, I had the opportunity to be relationship manager for Royal and BMO. Okay. Um, so it's a little bit different. Yeah. But it's Probably still the teams same. of people, I bet. <clears throat> yeah, there were larger teams. I mean, yeah. the, and the activities that are done. So it's basically just scale. But the scale, fundamental yeah. principles of ensuring that um, the financial institution, whether it's federally regulated or provincially regulated, yeah. adhere to um, the principles. We were both prudential regulators. In other words, we're principles-based, not rules-based necessarily. Okay. That they adhere to the um, risk management principles of effective risk management and good corporate governance and oversight at the board management levels um, that is commensurate with the risk profile of that institution. And this is where it comes back to the point we just said a moment ago about proportionality. So um, every let me use a simple example. Every mm-hmm. credit union in British Columbia takes money in and lends it out. Sure. Yeah. And generally lends it out as a mortgage. Yeah. 
So there are certain table stakes and expectations around the management of that business, the oversight of that business, yeah. and the responsibilities of the boards and management. That are universal beside, regardless of yeah, the size. Just There's pretty certain, much, universal is a good word because they're based on you know global principles, whether sure. it be from Basel or the FSB right. and whatever. Yeah. Um, and, and a lot of it is common so, sense as yeah. well. Yeah, of course. Which, yeah. which is important. So you take that, but you to use you mentioned Union Bay, and we'll, so yeah. we'll mention that yeah, again. Yeah, or yeah. firefighters, yeah, you know, they're smaller. They're very important credit unions yeah. in their in their space, but the level of intensity and expectation there versus the mortgage lending activity of TD Bank, sure, scale, yeah. It, 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 I think everyone complexity on the will understand and, yeah. exactly. Yeah. The fundamental expectations are there. So go back to your question about Aussie and um, the difference with, between Aussie and BCOSA. The other element too, with the largest, three largest insurance companies, Manulife, who I have some familiarity, is basically Asia, the United States, and Canada. Well, the home regulator will have obligations to understand what's going on in the United States as well as in Asia. Royal Bank of Canada have activities all around the world. Yeah. TD Bank, if I'm not mistaken, have more branches in the United States than they do in Canada. Yeah, they're huge down there. Exactly. Absolutely. Um, Bank of Nova Scotia is Latin, Latin American, American banking. 100%. Right. Yeah. So, uh, you know, when I was, again, when I was at Aussie and it was during the crisis and that we were looking at liquidity and elements there, um, understanding how at a multinational level, international level, what that impacts to the Canadian institutions mm -hmm. was very, very important. Yeah. That is a fundamental difference between OSFI and BCFSA, where BCFSA, where we don't have that dimension that yeah. we need. We still have to understand the implications on capital and liquidity and things like that. Sure. We just don't have that added dimension of complexity from a multinational perspective. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's good. As I've often said uh, to my clients, credit unions are what banks used to be 150 years ago. Because the banks today versus banks, same banks, TD Bank versus uh, 2020 versus TD Bank from turn of the century are very, very different banks today. Well, it's interesting, Andrew. I've heard people discuss and I've had these um, dinnertime conversations, usually after dinner and the, the, the port and after the wine conversations. But banks <laughs> are really just technology companies. Right. The, the big, 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 big ones. Right? Yeah. Um, you know, just like McDonald's at one point was not really a hamburger company, but it was, it was a real, a real estate, estate company, company. Yeah. right? Um, so that is, a, that is a really fundamental difference between um, where you see a credit union, um, in my, again, in my opinion, where you yeah. see a credit union is, is have maybe three or four branches, maybe just one branch um, in, a, in a core community versus the large multinationals. One's not better than the other, they're just different. Yeah. And we have to understand that difference. Yeah, okay, great. My last question, to see this is a uh, kind of talking about technology and mm -hmm. changes in the environment you, you mentioned you kind of painted this nice picture before about the 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 couple that you know gets a job and mm -hmm. has a pension and gets a mortgage and all the different touch points of the movement of money one of the new areas of movement of money is cryptocurrency right is that on the radar of bc fsa mm -hmm. at all and uh sure because it, it for those who don't know quebec has a arm called like called the amf and it's effectively authority marché de financière. Oui, and very good. Moi, je parle français. Ah, okay. Je parle en français un peu aussi. So, peut-être nous pouvons changer. No, I'm just kidding, folks. Just in English right now. Yeah, just in English. But so Quebec has a you. If you're going to do any cryptocurrency business in Quebec, 
-hmm. You have to not only be regulated through as an MSB federally with FinTrack, but you also have to register with AMF. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if AMF is the equivalent to BCFSA. It is. It is, okay. I mean, again, but its scale is is different, but it's equivalent. Yeah. Yeah. So is that is 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 virtual currency as the provincial government calls it or cryptocurrency? Yeah. Is that something that's on your guys' radar? Well, it's certainly something on our radar. Mm-hmm. Um, as is you know the digitalization, um, um, anti money laundering. Sure, obviously. I mean that's yeah. very prevalent in the, in the press yeah. today with the Cullen Commission and what's going on. Yeah, that's on our radar. Um, the you know certain amounts of uh, operational risk and elements with regards to information security, um, you know hacking. Yeah, uh, technology risks. All of those elements, to use your analogy, you know, you said banks were credit unions were banks for 150 years ago, five years ago, sure or yeah. less. Yeah, good point. We weren't really thinking about those things. Yeah, you know, any money laundering was there, but how it was done, what it was looking like, was different. Yeah, um, but it's changed. Yeah. Uh, so yes, is it hard to keep up? Oh yeah, it's very very difficult. Yeah, uh, to be very candid. Yeah. Um, the challenge is is changing the mindset of how we do our work and what we're looking at. Yeah, um, I've been using the analogy internally that um, we have to avoid driving the car by looking in the rearview mirror. Sure. So what we tend to do because uh, if your car is a Tesla, you know, well, yeah, even if you put it on a cruise like, control, you can get into trouble, yeah. as we saw that gentleman yeah. in Alberta. Yeah. But um, I, what, what the point don't, I'm trying don't to make sleep is, and drive. Yeah. <laughs> the point I'm trying to make is that the um, historically uh, we've looked at well, what did the bank statement say last month? Right. What did the board say last month? Mm-hmm. Um, how are they responding? And then by the time you start looking at those, you're not really looking forward. You're looking at best sideways mm-hmm. and what has happened in the past. So, you know, cryptocurrency, um, you know, hacking, AML, all of the various issues and the operational challenges that we're facing, digitalization, COVID, which has, you know, created a great opportunity and has really accelerated a lot of things, has been yeah. a challenge for us. What we have to do as we BCFSA and as regulators, in my opinion, is look at the risks as they exist today and see where the vulnerabilities are into the future. Okay. So COVID is an example, you know, brought on a lot of disruption. I'm being, it's a bit of an understatement to the economies. Mm -hmm. Sure. So where was that dislocation? Where was that disruption? How are the financial institutions impacted by those? Because that's not the risk that happened behind us. That's where now we're starting to look out the the uh, the wind. The, yeah, the, the, the I, front, I was going to say the windshield. windshield. Yeah. The, yeah, the windshield. Thank yeah. you. I lived in England for eleven right. years. Windscreen. The windscreen. Yeah. Um, but going forward, um, and I think that's critically important because yeah. then you can work with the institutions to identify what the risks are, whether it be cryptocurrency, AML, or whatever. Yeah. You know, yeah. info tech. You know, info security. Yeah. yeah. It's fascinating to see. As you know, I had uh, Chris Catliff yep. uh, in here uh, a, about a month and a half ago, and we talked about how Blue Shore has responded. And it's amazing how it's forcing all sorts of industries, including the banking credit mm-hmm. union sector to innovate. So there'll be some good things that come out of this. Oh, I think as so. As well as, uh, unfortunately, the negative. I, th- I, I think so. I mean, uh, it's a dynamic economy, right? Yeah. And, and things change. Yeah. Um, you know, just as little as two years ago, how many people really thought about getting most of your meals delivered by somebody on a bicycle or a motor scooter? Yeah. You know, DoorDash and things like that. Yeah, totally. um, yeah exactly. So, yeah. you know, I was up in northern uh, British Columbia the early part of the month, up far north, and um, I was in a little community. And a lot of the meals were being delivered out of the one restaurant that was opened. Now, it wasn't DoorDash or something yeah. formalized yeah. like that, but it was somebody in a van with delivering food. Yeah. And... And, you know, you look at that's a very positive 
element because as one sector or one business may be impacted, there's an opportunity for another one to emerge. Yeah. And so I think that's the dynamic element that um, as a regulator, when we're looking at the in the financial services, we have to be cognizant of, of that dynamism and, and uh, try to identify by working with the institutions. Yeah. To, because we don't have the answers. You have to tell us. Yeah. And we yeah, have you to get that feedback. That's right. Well, that's a good segue into the credit union system. Okay. So, Chris, let's spend some time on that. The first question I have, <clears throat> and we're going to kind of start simple and get a little more complex here. Sure. But the first one I have is. What is structurally the difference between what a credit union is and a bank? If you can kind of speak to that in simple terms. Yeah, and structurally, yeah. I think the, in my view, the, the, there's two fundamental elements. Okay. Um, is ownership and, and capital uh, quality and quantity. Okay. Um, the ownership is the first one. Obviously, in a credit union, the depositors are the members. They own the credit union. Mm. But you could be a depositor to a bank and not own the bank. Right. Right, that's the fundamental difference. Yeah, um, and I think that's the simplest one. It's from a structural. Or you could be a shareholder of the bank and not, and not a be bank a depositor. Exactly. Yeah. Right, but in a credit union, you're both. Yeah. Um, the other element with regards to capital is, um, and I'm I'm going to simplify this, and I know some somebody may say one of your listeners may say, well, that's you know, there's other elements. There's yeah. fundamentally two things that in credit union you raise capital, you raise it through your member shares and retained earnings. There may be other elements that you can raise, yeah. but fundamentally, that's it. Yeah, I think they have they, some of them. There's some have equity, sub, yeah, shares, equity shares, equity shares. Like that, can, but, well, you know, there's some yeah. debt they may be able to do or subordinate it rather. Yeah, but um, but the core of it is, is those, uh, two. those two. Yeah, but in a bank, the core for capital accumulation is significantly more. Yeah, common shares, preferred shares, sub sure. debt. You know, yeah. and there's different levels of each of those, right? Um, and then you have, of course, retained earnings as well. So yeah. I think those are the two structural differences. Okay. Um, but I, I, but functionally, they're the same. Again, in my in my view, yeah. From a functional point of view, credit union does the same as a bank, and vice versa. Okay. Scale, scope, and complexity varies, but fundamentally, they take money in and they lend it out. Yeah. I know it might sound that, like that's it. That's I, I tell I, my clients I'm not, that all I'm not trying to I kind of simplify. I add on it by saying they take money in and pay you hit this much, and then they lend it out at this much. Yeah. Well, and yeah. our goal is to help you get that number up. <laughs> that's what yeah. I do for a living. Well, that, well, that's then, that, that's right. I mean, um, they're businesses as well. Yeah. They're not charities. Yeah. Um, well, actually, you know, I tell my clients, look, do you want to have your money deposited with a credit union that lends out their money basically for free? And they barely keep their lights turned on, or do you want to lend it to a credit union that does turn a decent profit, so that you know there's, that's you know, right. it's being well run. Yeah, that's yeah. Right. So, so that's the um, fundamental difference. Okay, can you talk? Can you provide a bit of an overview? And I don't know if you have any numbers. I do to have this, some numbers. But I'd like yeah. to get the listeners to hear about the. Uh, to, I'd like people to hear about the the credit union system as a whole mm-hmm. in BC. So I don't know if you have any data on that but i, I think do. it's a pretty interesting and i don't even have any history behind it but because uh, i know you're fairly new to this role um but i'd be curious to know what uh you know t- for listeners to hear from the regulator mm-hmm. of the system in bc about the system itself yeah well it's a great because i uh, although i was very familiar with elements and the concepts of the credit union the specifics here in bc, BC I didn't really know very much, so I had a very good learning opportunity when yeah. I first arrived. Yeah, um, I was here for about five months before my wife was able to join me because we moved from Ontario. Yeah, you um, came out of retirement for this. I came out of retirement. That's right. Yeah, um, 
and uh, we had to sell our property and move. Anyway, so I had time to do a lot of work in there. So in British Columbia, there are 40 credit unions. And 40, there are, okay. 40, yeah, yeah. And there are two uh, centrals, Central One and Stabilization Central. And they provide very specialized support to the system. Okay. Uh, the credit union system in British Columbia of the 40, they're arranged in uh, six different peer groups, which are generally geographically oriented. Okay. Okay. So, you know, you have the peer group on the island, you have peer group in the north and the Kootenays, you know, yep. and they, um, the Caribou area and things like that. And then they're also organized uh, in terms of asset size. So okay. you have the largest ones pulled together and then you have some of the smaller ones. So you have asset groups and peer groups. Okay. Okay. Um, as we said a moment ago, Andrew, everybody takes money in and lends it out. Yeah. But there are some credit unions that offer wealth management services. Yeah. Right. Some have insurance. You know, some of other services that they provide. But fundamentally, all of them are just deposit takers and lenders. Lenders, yeah. Which is. And most of that lending is through residential mortgages, I think. Most of it is, yeah. Yeah. Very simplistic products. Some credit unions um, are active in derivatives, but those are for hedging purposes. Mm -hmm. Um, There's not a huge, like, again, the difference between a big bank or a bank and and, and a credit union. Uh, The big banks have very active trading activities. Sure. Most credit unions do not. If they yeah. do, you know, they are doing asset liability management because they have to. I mean, it's fundamental to the business. Uh, but they're not having proprietary trading and making markets and things like that. Yeah. Um, and that's another important difference. Um, you know, some of the credit unions, if they need to supply, uh, uh, supply support to their customers, so they have both uh, individual, re- retail, or commercial customers with regards to maybe a letter of credit or a wire payment or some sort of transfer of, of funds. Um, centrals can help them with that, as where the banks themselves can do that internally because they have much larger operations generally. So, um, you know, what the other elements, uh, what I think is unique and what's interesting here, some of the credit unions are what we refer to or what is referred to as a closed bond. Okay. So you talked about firefighters, talked about the police, uh, compensation employees, those are credit unions open to this, that particular sector. Okay. Right? Um, so it's that community. Mm-hmm. What's interesting, and we've certainly seen this in light of COVID, but it was evolving towards that, the communities are changing. So it's not just a physical community now, because now communities are becoming broader because of internet and online banking and elements there. Right. Now, that doesn't necessarily impact the bond definition. But it is just part of this evolution that I think uh, we have to be aware of. Yeah. That it's not just this little community that is part of this credit union. Yeah. The credit u- that that community could be dispersed. Yeah. Right. So it's not yeah. just a geographic uh, yeah. consideration. Yeah. So that's that's some of the elements. And, okay. You know, the sizes range from let's say twenty million dollars in assets. Billion. Billion. No, twenty million in assets. Okay. To twenty-seven billion. 20, oh, 20 million on the bottom. Oh, okay, guys, sorry. Sorry, yeah, 20 sorry. million. No, small. Yeah, yeah. yeah. To, to, how, to 27 billion 27. or 25 billion, something yeah. like that. You know? That's Van City, of course. So Van City is the biggest. Yeah. Uh, first West is second, second largest, right? right? Um, Prospera. The, Prospera. Is that what they're still called, Prospera at this point? Yeah. The, yeah. Well, we, we internally, um, you know, we for a little while we were, we were going through the amalgamation. Um, new Prosper. We called it New Prosper and Old Prosper, <laughs> yeah. uh, just for our own differentiation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's that's fine for the listeners to know. 
So, um, so everybody in this province is generally familiar with Van City. Mm -hmm. A lot of people aren't familiar with the name First West, and that's because their model, where they've, um, I think they've now accumulated four brands, right. right? So they start off as Envision Financial, mm -hmm. and then Envision merged with Valley First. That's right. Um, and so they changed their parent name to First West, but they kept the brands mm -hmm. in those separate re regions. Yeah. Yeah. And then Valley First and Envision then also took on Island Savings. Island, yes. And then I think the fourth one was that small community in the uh, Okanagan. Was it? Uh, yeah. I forget the name I now. Remember the top so, three. I feel really bad because I know people have worked there and they're probably going to be shooting me. Um, <laughs> it starts with like an A or it's like Elgin or Alice. I, I, yeah, I anyway, know. so... Um, so for those that are listening, that the, the First West is the second largest. That's right. Um, but they're under those different brands. Mm -hmm. And then why you were calling it New Prosper is because it was a merge or that just completed recently. January 1st. January 1st, okay. Yeah. Of Prosper Credit Union, and which was in the Fraser Valley and New West Savings. Yeah. Savings. Yeah. Um, and, Which, they re, and they just and now they're called. Prosper. They continue to be called yeah. Prosper. Prosper. Yeah. But you know, there's you know a lot of the credit unions. You know, from a history. And again, I'm not really, uh, I, I'm not really capable of talking about the history because I don't know it well enough. Yeah. But you know, they're um, Gulf and Fraser. Yeah. They're the oldest credit union in the province. Right. But it's a couple. Or of one of the old, yeah. old, oldest credit union in the Lower Mainland. Right. And, yeah. and it's a merger of a couple coming together. Yeah. Right. You know, so you're, you're, that's not uncommon. Yeah. And, you know, I know one of the things we're going to talk about is, you know, you know, the elephant in the room is the, the, the system it's consolidating. Yes. It has done for the last. Yeah. We're going to definitely touch on that. For the last century. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so this is not you, a new phenomenon. Yeah. We're definitely topping that. Thank you for reminding yeah. me that. So you mentioned Central One Credit mm -hmm. Union. Of course, is I often tell my clients that it's kind of like the, uh, it's like the Bank of Canada for the credit union system in BC. Is that an accurate statement? They, they provide a lot of support to the, the credit unions, yes. Yeah. Um, They're like a liquidity provider? They do, they do, and they provide management uh, services. They provide um, uh, tutorials. Yeah. They, they provide teaching. Now, who, re uh, who regulates Central One? We do. You do? Okay. In fact, that's a part of my group. And who owns Central One? Credit unions. The credit unions do. Yeah. And Central One is owned by the credit unions both in BC, but also Ontario, right? Uh, yeah, Ontario has, a, has an obligation, yeah. So Central One um, takes care of the credit unions from a liquidity point of view on that yeah. subject for Ontario and British Columbia. Okay. Um, in both jurisdictions, they maintain um, a mandatory liquidity pools. Okay. Uh, the rules around them are slightly different. One is contractual, one is under legislation. That, you know, okay. We can get into it if you need to. But, yeah. um, so yes, the 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 um, Atlantic provinces have a central, yeah. as do <clears throat> the Prairie provinces, and collectively the centrals themselves provide support, clearing functions, payments, um, uh, for you know movement of cash through every, through the system, so that if you wanted to access the Bank of Canada, you can go through Central One because Central One is a member of the Large Value Transfer System (LVTS). Okay. And under the Bank of Canada, only they can provide you know liquidity support through an LVTS member. You know, so there's all those kind of dimensions. Central One is um, an integral part of the credit union system. Yeah. As is stabilization. And they're a big employer here too, actually. Yeah, yeah, they're yeah. They're, they're they're quite. A, In fact, the whole credit union. Any idea how many people work at the credit unions across BC? You know, I did have that number, and I should have looked that up before I came yeah. over. Um, but they're a big employer as a as a as a community as a whole. Yeah, the, I had I had that somewhere in there, you know. Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah. there there were a lot of people. Yeah. yeah. 
But Central One and, and Stabilization Central is important as well, Andrew. Just yeah, tell us about them. Stabilization Central. Yeah, I mean, Central. They, they provide a little, bit, a little bit specialized support. Okay. Um, they will work with the credit unions for, again, board education, helping management deal with issues. Uh, they work with the regulator uh, when we identify areas for enhancement. Um, Stabilization Central can go in and work with management to to meet those, yeah. pardon me, those not not I want to say obligations, but those expectations. Yeah. Um, they also um, take care of a fidelity bond, you know, for um, uh, any any frauds and things like that. Okay. They maintain that. Um, they're funded from the industry as well. So they're they are an important player and, and an um, element to to augment. Mm -hmm. the service provision that the credit unions can do for their clients. Right. Okay. You know, um, I don't think it's unfair to say that the um, utilization of Central One or uh, Stabilization Central tends to be from the midsize and smaller. All of them use them, uh, but somebody like Van City, you know, has the scale and the scope and the capabilities, the expertise to do a lot of the, the work themselves. Right. As does First West and Blue Shore and some of the larger credit unions. Mm -hmm. So Central One really provides an important support function to the smaller and mid-sized credit unions okay. who don't have the scale. I mean, if you've got a credit union that has one or two branches and seven or eight employees, yeah. which is not uncommon, they're not going to have a lot of the yeah. expertise. And these Something as simple as like securitization of mortgages. They'll help facilitate yeah. and, and do the mechanics behind it. Right, right. Okay. For those that don't understand that concept, basically it's uh, the uh, way of packaging up mortgages and then converting them into bonds and selling them into the market and do a funding right. source. Securitization, the way I, I've described it internally at, yeah. um, at BCFSA, is, is a funding mechanism. It's a funding mechanism. It's yeah. basically what it is. Yeah, uh, You're taking assets that are on your books and using them to create new assets. Right. Yeah. That's what the whole movie The Big Short's all about, except that that similar. was... Similar. <laughs> that was I, I thought much about more. that. Yeah. I mean, Don't the, worry, folks. You got to... There's a big difference between the American system from 2007 and what we've got here at BC. Although uh, um, Anthony Bourdain did a really good job explaining CDOs. Yeah, he did. Yeah, when, it, when he yeah, talked, that was about a good the, movie. Yeah, it was a great movie. Yeah. I've seen it a yeah. few times. But the CDOs, and I was right in the middle of all that at Aussie. Oh, were you? It was a great. Oh experience. man, yeah. Um, can you speak to the advantages of banking with a credit union versus mm -hmm. a traditional bank? Because one of the things that I know our clients often hear is that, well, the banks are, especially the big five, big six, they're more, they're safer to have your money with them. But I, I always, yeah. of course, argue that, and, well, but I, I'm biased. Yeah, so no, no, that's let's, fine. Let's hear well, your views to, you know, what certainly yeah, sure. the difference Well, let's, let's go back to what we just talked about, the big short. Sure. Okay. So uh, for your listeners that are familiar, it's the crisis in 2008 and nine. And if you're saying, you know, big banks are safer, well, some of the biggest banks in the world disappeared in 2008 and nine. Sure. They weren't any safer than yeah. the credit unions in British Columbia. Well, I mean, it started with Northern Rock in the UK, yeah. 250 year old bank. Yeah. But I mean, you know, uh, Lehman Brothers. Well, Lehman Brothers uh, in September of 09, and you had um, uh, not, um, Swiss Banking Corp. Anyway, yeah. Deutsche Bank was under. So uh, bigger is not safer. Mm -hmm. um, somebody asked me, well, I remember one time, um, you know, Chris would. We've heard that a small credit union is less risky than a big credit union. Do you agree? And I said, no, I do not agree. I said, the risks are there, um, but they're different. They're different. And, yeah. I, and as a, um, a frustrated engineer, um, 
I know, and anybody who's a physicist would know, energy you can't destroy. You can change it, but you can't destroy it. Right. Risk is the same way. You can mitigate it, and you can shift it and change it, but you don't get rid of it. Right. You just repackage it and turn it into something else. Yeah. So the advantages of a credit union, or, or sorry, you asked, is it less risky than a big bank? Um, it depends. This is how you define risk. It depends on how you're looking at it. But the example here, as we saw in the the um, uh, the crisis of 2008 or 9, demonstrated yeah. that. Yeah. Bigger, bigger is, didn't it, necessarily. Bigger at all does mean. not necessarily mean. Yeah. The way we look at it at BCFSA and and Aussie and other regulators, prudential regulators around the world, is you you need to ensure that the risk management infrastructure, the oversight, yeah. together with the corporate governance at the board and management level, yeah. is effective enough to be and is commensurate with the risk profile of the organization. So, mm-hmm. Chris, how do you define Makes the sense. risk profile? Well, risk profile will change depending on what activities are in, how many products are dealing with, how complex are they, um, you know, the scale of operations, sure. and, and things like that. So, um, to say that uh, you know, credit union is less risky than a bank or more risky than a bank, I think, uh, is fraught with um, qualification. It's too simplified. It's too simplified. Yeah. Um, you know, if, if somebody was looking to say, well. Um, Let me rephrase I? the question, Chris. Okay. Is it feasible to say that you can have conceptually as much safety placing your money with a credit union as you could with a bank? Oh, yes. And I think if you're going to place your money with a bank or credit union, it's incumbent on you to know what you're doing. Sure. You know, it's caveat emptor. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think you there's some due diligence that is required. You have to understand, you know, what is the credit union doing? Um, right. What does the bank do? You know, in the simplistic terms, um, one fundamental difference, and again, it's it's always dangerous to to generalize, and it's very dangerous to make it simple. But um, the credit unions, particularly the smaller ones, midsize, that are in somewhat closed geographic areas, take the money in on their deposits from their members and lend it out to the members roughly in the same area. Mm-hmm. The large banks collect money in different areas, and while the money will come back in some cases to the smaller communities. Generally, they're, they're involved in what they refer to as transfer pricing. They, they pool all the liquidity of the big banks in a big bank in one central location in the treasury, and then it's distributed out. Mm-hmm. And there I, there's mechanisms for pricing and all those sorts of things. I mean, you understand transfer pricing. Yes. Um, so that is a fundamental difference. It doesn't make it more risky or less risky, but it's a fundamental difference yeah. between the two. Yeah. Um, so it's a, it's a challenging question. Um, it depends on the credit union. It depends yeah. on the bank, as we talked about. Yeah. Um, you know, credit unions haven't failed in a very, very long time. I don't know that BC has ever actually had a failure. I don't think they have from what I've been told. And again, yeah. I'm, I, yeah. I have to qualify my understanding on this. Yeah. Um, generally, what happens, they get absorbed if yeah. there's a challenge. Yeah. Um, well, maybe we could take it. That's a good, sure. that's a good segue into talking about all the different levels of security that a depositor would have when they're placing money with a credit union. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I've got a view on this, but I'd like to hear kind of the different, you talked about stabilization, mm-hmm. um, credit union stabilization. Uh, yeah, stabilization uh, central. Stabilization central, thank you for that. Um, but let's start with the most basic. So you've got your money with ABC Credit Union in BC. Yeah. The first line of defense uh, or, or cert, uh, like level of security as a depositor is the fact that they have a strong balance sheet and, and they're operating with a positive cash flow. That That is it. And management uh, understands the risk that they're assuming. Uh, it's within their stated 
risk appetite yeah. that the board d- determines. Um, they're operating within those. Uh, they have the capability to identify, measure, monitor, and report the risks. Yeah. Uh, that's just a and that map. measurement and mon- uh, reporting. That reporting is what would be reported not just to their own board, uh, but also to yourselves. Well, right? there is yes, there's regulatory reporting to to the regulator. Yeah, to BCFSA. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you know, but we also look at what's going to the board. We also okay. we also track things. Uh, earlier in our conversation, I talked about uh, how BCFSA is is evolving to become modern, effective, and efficient. One thing that we have developed um, in the last eight or nine months, is uh, a tool to help us identify vulnerabilities based on market data, based on what's going on in the press, in the the economy, as well as what we know about the distribution and the construct of the various portfolios of the credit unions. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, the area, so we've got good governance, first of all, um, and management control. Strong balance sheet and income is obviously very, very important. Um, just as in, in the banks, um, and one of our mandates here at, at uh, BCFSA, and I, I know that you want to talk about QDIC, is the Credit Union Deposit Insurance Cor- Corporation, yeah. um, which guarantees the deposits in the credit union system here in British Columbia. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's the last line of defense, right? That is the last line of defense. So let's, let's talk about, so, so between the, the good standing of the credit union itself mm-hmm. and um, having a claim insurance on a default... What do we have in between? What 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 tools are there for credit unions? What's what's the system set up? How to sure, sure. Yeah. So so if there is a um, um, a requirement of the credit union to pay back its liabilities, mm-hmm. so you're looking at the credit union's liquidity position. Sure. That's right. So the liquidity means that you can uh, meet your liabilities as they come due. Yeah. So what's on the so as, do, as depositor goes into the yeah, branch and says, money. "I need my ten, I need ten thousand dollars out to go buy a car." Yeah, we'll and they be, say, sorry, we don't have $10,000 today. Yeah, but, but you, you, you talked about Northern Rock. That was right. a liquidity issue, right? That was a liquidity yeah, issue. Yeah, people took a run and wanted all their money. Yeah, there's a run on the bank. I mean, and there was just, concern they, over it. And there was like, I can correct. never, I'll never forget the image of seeing all those people that around feed the block. from BBC and yeah. people around the block lined up to take cash, physical cash yeah. out of their bank. Absolutely. And, you know, that happens through history in different yeah. jurisdictions a lot. So basically what the credit union or any financial institution, yeah, because this is generally. So they're looking at the balance sheet. They have these liabilities. They have to understand the maturity of those liabilities. Mm-hmm. Um, many of them are on demand, right? They're in checking accounts yeah. and things like that. They're not terms. Mm-hmm. So what do they have on liquid assets on their balance sheet? How can they generate cash quickly if they needed it? Mm-hmm. Um, you'd have to then look at um, what other tools do they have at their disposal? You talked about mar- securitization of mortgages. You could have loan sales, right? You know. There's all those types of elements that could kick Access in. to credit. Ac- well, access, yeah. Central One provides borrowing to, for yeah. credit unions, for example. Pardon me. Yeah. So, you know, so there are a series of steps. And the credit unions, uh, like banks, are required to maintain a certain amount of liquidity. That's, that's right. And that's called the... The MLP, the Minimum Liquidity Pool. Or, minimum or, Liquidity yeah. Pool. Yeah. Okay. So basically, um, by legislation... Here, is that different from mandatory liquidity That reserves? is mandatory. Mandatory liquidity pool, not minimum. Sorry. Oh, okay. Mandatory. Ma- mandatory liquidity pool, pool right? Or res- some say call it our reserves, right? Well, it, it's a little. Well, what it basically it is, it's by um, legislation here yeah. in British Columbia that they have to hold credit union has to hold eight percent of their um, deposits and borrowings. Yeah. In the MLP. Okay. Right. So eight. And by, just to give contrast, what is it not with OSPI? It's, it depends on. Well, what they use a different metric. Oh, okay. They don't use that. Um, 
but it, for Ontario, for example, yeah. also is that um, they have a contractual relationship with Central One, and in Ontario, the calculation is six percent of assets. Oh, interesting. So it's a little bit different calculation, same principle, but different yeah. calculation. Okay. And they are moving towards um, an LCR, a liquidity coverage ratio, as we are looking. These are more basal, much more modernized right. uh, metrics. So um, by maintaining that MLP, they have that um, reserve. It gives a different connotation, but okay. I understand what you're, you're yeah. referring to, Andrew, that uh, is available to yeah. a credit union yeah. to meet those obligations. Um and you know, when we, at the beginning of the um, uh, of the pandemic, there was some concern that there may be a run on the finan- on banks, credit unions, sure. insurance companies, whoever. Yeah. It didn't materialize. Yeah. A it's lot been of credit quite unions, the opposite. Actually. Exactly, it's, it's been the exact opposite. the opposite. Yeah. And it, it's created different sets of constraints yeah. and, and <laughs> concerns. Um, but the um, the thing was, well, we got to have cash ready. We better have cash ready. Well, it turned out that nobody wanted cash, so therefore you didn't need it. Yeah. You know, so. What was what was a really positive element, and I, I want to, I'm going to use it now because it's a good good yeah. point. Is what I was really uh, pleased to see and understood that the credit unions were very proactive, and they were very much uh, ahead of the curve insofar as they recognized that a number of their their members may not have had access to either a bank card or you know the cash machines, uh, online banking, and they were working with their clients as they came into the branches to make that conversion right at the outset of the COVID yeah. crisis so that the member themselves would not be out of sorts or not be able to have access. Sure. They, it really calmed everybody down. Yeah. And, and, and Chris was, talked about this uh, with Blue Short. Yeah. And he told a really great story about a gentleman who, I don't know, remember the number was, I don't know if you remember Jasmine, it was like, it took out 10000 or $100,000. Yeah, 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 and, yeah. and, and, and then he had it home under his mattress for like two days and, and he, he was sweating like crazy. Yeah, and, and then he brought he it back. back. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, but, well, precisely. But I mean, yeah. that's kind of the reaction, which is very, very positive. So, yeah. you know, when you're looking at, um, again, to your original question about, you know, the, the different levels, yeah. um, many individuals... Uh, and, and commercial enterprises as well, dealing with credit unions, are very familiar with the people in the in, in the branch, hmm. you know, in, in the physical location. Mm-hmm. That's not to say that in a smaller community or even in, local, in Vancouver, you don't know the local TD branch manager or sure. people. Yeah. You do. Yeah. Um, but there is that tendency to... to a little uh, more uh, intimacy in the relationship. Yeah, they're, they're, yeah, it's just yeah. implied because of, the, uh, of sheer size. And, yeah. and again, as I said, I was up in northern British Columbia and I was in one particular small community the only financial services location there was a credit union. That was no, it. There was it. No, no, banks. no banks. No banks. There were no banks. Amazing. Yeah. So that's important. Now, a lot of people think that if a credit union uh, has a run on its deposits, if a credit union has a, a difficulty or is, is finding itself where it's not able to pay out its obligations, depositors are coming in and asking for their money, they're not able to play, that, that it goes straight from there to insolvency, but that's no, hardly the case. No, hardly. There so is, can you talk to the listeners about like- What are the steps? Yeah, what are the yeah. steps? Because you mentioned earlier about, for example, instead of having, a, like we, we have, I don't think BC's ever seen a, uh, a a complete insolvency of a credit union, largely because if there is any problems that do happen, it's normally get, they get absorbed by another yep. credit union. Yep. But I believe is there also a, a rule where there could be an, even an obligation that prorated each credit union has to take on those liabilities. There, are, there, are, there is there are elements of that, but even yeah. before you get to that point, sure. um, since the crisis, there's been a um, 
a transition towards the development of what they refer to as recovery plans. Okay. So these are institution required, particularly the largest institutions, um, sets of steps and strategies should they come into some sort of financial distress. And these are the steps we will follow to ensure insolvency, our, ensure that our depositors are protected, etc. You know, we're going to sell these loans, we're going to stop this business, we're going to do this, 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 this. And, the, and I'm making it sound that it's very simple, but it's much more complicated than that. And the yeah. documents are usually four or five inches thick. Yeah. Uh, but it's a set of pr pro procedures and processes and strategies, strategic direction, that an institution will take. If all of that fails, and occasionally it has, it certainly did during the crisis, the next step is what they call resolution. Okay. And in Canada, CDIC is the resolution authority. OSFI controls and looks after the, uh, mm. the recovery elements. Yeah. And that's Canada uh, Deposit Insurance Corp. Can yeah, CD, yeah, Canadian Deposit. They are the resolution. So basically what they'll do, step in and say, okay, what are we going to do? We're going to wind this down. We're going to sell these sectors. And in a large organization, you can sell whole... You could sell the U.S. operations sure. or the Asian operations or something like mm -hmm. that. So there's a set of strategies to get to avoid insolvency mm -hmm. and to avoid loss to um, depositors. Yes. Shareholders in yeah. a public company. Yeah. Too bad for you. Well, yeah. you know, they're at the end of the line. Yeah. And, this, and similarly, now, we're, we're not, we don't have that same um, rigor, but we're moving towards that in here because that is very much in part of uh, the mandate of the, the government and, and um BCFSA. And, you know, what I, I brought it with me, one of the um, uh, province of British Columbia is, is investing in a strong, sustainable economy that works for people. And then you look, and this is the 2019, um, 20, 2021 uh, big picture, basically. Okay. And then if you take that down in the Ministry of Finance, you know, strong and sustainable economy. So when you start looking at that, what does it mean to be a strong and a sustainable economy? So these, we have five priorities in BCFSA risk-based supervision and consumer protection, external engagement, dialogue with the industries so we understand it better. Uh, regulatory governance and legislation, what's the roadmap? How are we gonna work to, to make this all come together? Deposit insurance, which is important, and then anti-money laundering. Right. So um, it's consumer confidence, it, it's, it's um, a set of steps and elements that um, we don't have an insolvency event whereby, or we might have an insolvency event, but we don't have uh, a loss a loss due to that. Yeah. Because um, when I was at Aussie, uh, the philosophy was that there will be failures. The question is, can we manage it in advance to ensure that there's no real loss to depositors or policyholders in an insurance company? Yeah. Um, is that the same philosophy that. here in BC? Yes, very much so. I mm -hmm. mean, you know, we, we, we work. So the, the reason, uh, why did we go from, I don't know, we have 40 credit unions now. I don't know how many there were 50 years ago, but let's yeah. say there was 100. Sure. Um, how did we get from 100 to 40? Right. What was the rationale for it? Yeah. Um, well, this is, a, this is a good segue into what we talk, I said I yeah. wanted to talk, uh, talk about, which yeah. is this constant consolidation, sure. which uh, I'm sure has some some good points to it. Absolutely. I think but, that there's more yeah. good than bad. Okay. Quite frankly. In mm -hmm. fact, I, I don't, I'm not really sure there are any bad points to it. And let me explain why. Sure. Um, 150 years ago to 40 today. Yeah. Um, well, what were the big causes? Why did that happen? Yeah. Well, the market changed. What the members' expectations and requirements of the credit unions changed. Yeah. Toronto Dominion Bank didn't exist prior to 1955. 
It was the merger of the Toronto Bank and the Dominion Bank. Right, sure. As an example. Yeah. Bank of Montreal is a merger of a whole bunch of smaller ones. So yeah. that is not a unique phenomenon, and it yeah. also occurs in the credit union space. So you have credit unions coming together. What I'm really um, been very uh, impressed with in British Columbia in my short time here in working is that the credit unions have a collaboration. They're in competition. Yeah, there's no question about yeah. that. And that's fine. Yeah. But they also talk to each other. They're also they're very collaborative. Yeah. Um, they may share. Far more than the banks. I can assure you that. Like I, I, yeah. I mean, at least I at see the it local the, level. At the, I see it at the street level view. You know? Yeah, the street level view. The banks I know are at the CEO levels. The Bay Street levels are, are very, very tight. Are they? Yeah. Uh, and certainly in the trading rooms, which I spent 17 years in, are tight. Yeah. But um, here in British Columbia with the credit unions, you've got um, the credit unions t- saying, okay, we don't have the scale we need to develop scale. Our, our members, your member, my member, even though we might be competitors, need the same thing. Coming together might be a better option for us mm-hmm. because now we can actually provide the digital support they need, the online banking, mm-hmm. whatever the services may be. Mm-hmm. We may have the economies of scale to deal with the operational risk factors that we're all facing better, mm-hmm. right? Um, so I think that's a very positive element. Um, I don't know what it's going to look like in the future. Mm-hmm. I don't know if we're going to be at 40 uh, in five years from now. I suspect that. Well, I'm going to make a call on that right now. I think it's going to be less. It's going to be less. Yeah. And it's the same way. So let me jump in here for a sec, please, if I can, because I can find a real negative behind this. And it's my same view as to what's happening at a more national level with the big banks. Okay. I've, I've been in the financial services industry for just over 20 years now. When I started, the big five banks, no one really talked about national at the time. Now they throw them in as a big six, but the big five banks had, and if you want to throw national in there, they had like 75% of the market share mm-hmm. in, the, in the in any area. Pick sure. Residential mortgages, yeah. commercial loans, deposits, GICs, whatever. Generally, they still do. Well, it's higher now. Yeah. Now it's like 85%, heading towards 89%. And my concern as a consumer as someone who believes in free markets and, mm-hmm. and competitiveness is I think the big banks are basically an oligopoly like the telecom companies are um, and, and many other oligopolies. We're like the nation of oligopolies here in this country. And my concern is is not so much about how many credit unions we have but that we or, or banks, but the fact that the system is kind of designed to work against innovation of new created institutions. That might be different. Mm-hmm. Let me use an example in the banking world. There's a bank called VersaBank. Now they converted themselves from a different bank. They were, I think, they were called Pacific Western Bank before. They were based in Edmonton, and they're Canada's only virtual bank. And in fact, if you look at financials, they're Canada's most profitable bank by a country mile, mm-hmm. and they're a completely virtual bank. I don't know the people there, but I just know their mm-hmm. numbers because we review we review all this stuff regularly. And my concern. And it's not a criticism towards you guys no, as a regulator, no. but just the system as a whole, in my view, there's a flaw here. I mean, I, let me give you a parallel. Imagine if there were new, no new tech companies for 40 years. Mm-hmm. We'd still be working on IBM computers. There'd be no Google. There'd be no WhatsApp. There'd be no Apple, right? So if you look at other industries, the reason that they've done so well, uh, you know, there'd be no Tesla. So if there hadn't been any new car companies in the last 40 years. And so my concern is that the system today, and this is more of a, I think a policy question uh, that goes beyond your reach, I think, um, is 
like how come we haven't seen a new credit union formed in the last 30, 40 years? Well, and, can I, can I, I don't know. I can't answer that last question. Sure. To your point about uh, the technology changing, we'd still be using IBMs and Teslas yeah. and that. Um, why do you need a new physical body to deal? Because what's evolved in the financial services are the products. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter if it's at a bank or a credit union. Yeah, but to be, you know, to be to, to argue that point, I mean, the fastest growing space in the financial services industry are fintech. You, Correct. You, you look at a company like Wealth Simple, and they've completely disrupted mm -hmm. the market. Really mm -hmm. big Canadian story, phenomenal story. Um, I think because of Corville is there, if I'm not mistaken. I, I'm not sure. I mean, Sam saves a friend of mine, and he's yeah. one of the, I believe, one of the founders of, of Wealth Simple. Yeah. But they, they actually, when I talked to Sam about the company in about year two for them, they had, I think, two financial services people working there and about 30 programmers. Yeah. But they've completely turned the whole industry on its head with respect to how young people can engage in investing their money and depositing their money and making investment decisions. Right. So, so it, it, it's the. I just I'm concerned that here in BC, and I but I don't think it's just BC. I think it's oh, like it's better. Global. Like it's it's, it's global. It's yeah. Not, it's not just in BC. I mean, if you yeah. I don't know well enough in China but, but, or in Asia. But let's talk about C because you're yeah. you oversee BC. Like to have to start up a new credit union in BC today. What is the minimum requirement of capital needed? Off the top of my head, I don't know. I think it's like three million yeah, or something. I, like I don't that. really know. I think yeah. it depends on a number of items. Okay, but that I think that just out of the starting blocks, you got to show sure. up with three million bucks, which not every British Columbian has. No. And when I look at, by contrast, if you look at Blue Shore and the story that I got when I was talking with Chris and the, I started the podcast, Blue Shore was started with like twelve dollars and like twelve people each when, one, well, forty years ago. Yeah. Yeah. So you know. I, I, I understand your, your, your point, and it, it is a valid one. Yeah. But by the same token, um, by having credit unions come together, what they're going to be doing is creating new credit unions mm -hmm. that can offer British Columbians a broader sense of services and deal with all those that younger demographic that um, WealthSave or WealthServe? No, WealthSimple. So WealthSimple yeah. is, is providing. Yeah. Um, a smaller credit union today by itself can't do it. Right. But if it merges with one or two others, for example, if they were right. so inclined to uh, to deal with the shifting demographic requirements, yeah. in other words, the expectations of their members, yeah. um, you will see a consolidation because you don't have three, six, twelve, fifteen million dollars to create a new right from start. Why well, that's a good that's a good point because if you that's so. a really valid point because I guess what you're saying is like there's still plenty of credit unions to be able to oh, have yeah. have the VersaBank scenario Absolutely. where they went from being a brick and mortar local Alberta based small bank again I think I think they were called Pacific Western Bank beforehand and you have a new board new management team come in with a yep. completely different vision and you take what's already a, it's almost like a shell corp in a sense and you mm -hmm. just convert it into this new concept right um, so yeah that's yeah that's, I mean it's anyway, a good point it's yeah it's a dynamic situation I think we're in good shape um, across the province um, we have, you know, a very viable market. Is it perfect? No. Um, are there areas for improvement and strengthening? Of course, there always are. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, it's very responsive and it, it moves uh, in response to the dynamic economic environment. We do have challenges facing us today that we didn't have six months ago. Um, and that's always interesting. Yeah. Um, with, you know, with COVID and the dislocation, you know, there's going to be some sectors of the economy that, you know, are under stress today that may be under stress for a while. Yeah. You know, and, but that's not unique to British Columbia. Yeah. So. Yeah. 
How are we doing for time here, Jasmine? We're really into this. Yeah. Yeah, I got a okay. one o'clock anyway, so. Oh, do you? Yeah. I apologize. No, no, don't okay. I, It only takes well, five minutes to get back. Okay. Well, holy smokes, we're not even into industry trends, although we've talked about it a bit. Let's just do this. Let's um, let's zero in on a couple of key topics because I want I definitely need to address before you leave. Let's start with Qtic. Okay. So let first of all, what is Qtic, and how does this protect depositors? And is is Qtic who owns Qtic? Yeah. Uh, do you guys oversee Qtic? Yeah, we do. You do. Okay. So let's start off with Qtic stands for Credit Union Deposit Insurance Corp. Yeah. Is it fair to say that Qtic is kind of like the equivalent of um, CDIC, like Canada it Deposit is. Insurance Corp. It is. Okay. Yeah. I mean, Qtic, Qtic, and and I, I've I've got some some important elements here. You know, um, Qtic is the Credit Union Deposit Insurance Corporation. Um, it is uh, part of the British Columbia government, but it's administered by BCFSA. Okay. Okay. Um, and it is it is sole role is to administer the fund, which provides a backstop for deposits in british columbia okay right and who uh, funds it the the there are assessed fees that are done to the industry okay based on uh, a series of quantitative and qualitative factors yeah um reflecting size of the institution risk profile of the institution etc and that's what the contributions uh, go into that fund okay so basically from the credit unions basically yeah so it's similar to cdic it's, then. it's almost identical to okay it's it's, it's, it's is there anything like basically different between CDIC and CUDIC? Cudic. Cudic. I mean, because you because you worked at OSPI, so like if you look at it again, it's, I know we're all, we're simplifying a lot yeah, of stuff here. Yeah, we are here, simplifying, but that's but, fine. but is there anything fundamentally different between the two of them? Fundamentally, no. They both provide insurance to depositors. Okay. The the difference is maybe the the limit of that insurance. Right. Uh, but you know the, the funding of the fund, uh, the elements on that. Um, the difference is Qtic is is very is a separate entity, completely separate entity from OSFI, as where Qtic is part and is administered by BCFSA. Okay, got it. Um, and for clarification, the CDIC insurance coverage is a hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollars, and Qtic is unlimited. That's right. Okay. Um, let's. I want to talk to you for a second. I didn't bring this up beforehand, but ATB, Alberta Treasury Branch. Okay. Um, and maybe this is out of your out of your wheelhouse, but that's a financial institution unique of itself in Canada. It is. It is. I don't know much about it. I think there's like forty some odd branches or something yeah. like that in Alberta. Yeah, it's like a banking institution owned by the provincial Province government of, of Alberta. Province. Has there been any talk about having something like? I've never heard any talk of this, but have you ever heard of any not, talk not, about? I haven't. No. No. I, I'm here in British Columbia. Yeah, here in BC. No, no, no. not that I'm aware of. No. Yeah. Okay. Can you explain for the listeners about what is the difference between a provincial credit union and a federal credit union? Yes, very simply. Um, you mentioned at the outset of our conversation, there's two uh, credit unions that have gone federal and Coast Capital here in British Columbia went federal. Yeah. So um, question I would ask, well, why? Sure. And, you know, I mean, that's a business decision. Yeah. So the, the advantage, advantage is probably the wrong word. Um, the opportunity in going federal allows um, the institution to become regulated by OSFI. But having a charter, a federal charter, allows to do business in different communities across the country. Right. So um, uh, an institute, a credit union may choose, and again, it's a business decision, to go federal because maybe some of their clients have moved to a different, another area. And mm-hmm. Or they have a, a distinctive competence in particular 
lending facilities or something that exists in Alberta oil fields, for example, yeah. or something like that. Um, so current rules don't allow a British Columbian credit union to operate in Alberta interprovincially. Yeah. So they go federal. Now, I'm not suggesting that's why the credit unions did, but that's a business decision. To go. Yeah. So that's the difference, the fundamental okay. difference. But do, you, do you see more credit unions going federal? Do you think that's going to happen? Well, it, it's <clears throat> depending. Uh, if they see that there's a business opportunity to do so and mm-hmm. a rationale for doing so. But I, might suge- I would suggest that maybe there's different alternatives. Maybe, and again, it's pure speculation mm-hmm. and, a, and a personal observation, that um, if those credit unions want to operate in, in areas in Alberta, and that's the closest province to us, and you know, yeah. there's some similarities, maybe there should be some discussions between the two jurisdictions. Sure. As opposed to a federal interprovincial. That's now, really... It doesn't exist right now. Yeah. Um, that's a neat idea. I don't know if you know this because this is fairly new for you, but actually at one point, First West Credit Union had an informal agreement with what's um, now called, uh, the, it was First Calgary Credit Union. They were trying to arrange something. Um, yeah. This is even before the leg- the uh, legislation was available for federal credit union status. Yeah. So, you know, um, th- those are those are options that, you know, working with industry, working with the jurisdictions, work, um, you know, the provincial governments, working with the regulators, um, that might warrant conversation. And the reason I say that is that everything is changing so quickly. This is, you know, it's going to be different in, in six months from now, nine months, 12 months from now. Yeah. So why not explore these opportunities? Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's a good ending point. One last thing I want to ask you about sure. is uh, my question is, what are you seeing? And this might be relevant to, of course, with COVID as well. We are filming this in kind of mid-September of 2020. What do you see happening in the BC credit union system that you get you really excited, that you're you're pretty pumped about? Yeah, I mean, I, I talked a little bit about the, you know how the credit union system um, collaborates and works together. Um, collegial, if I can use that term. Um, and, and I think that's very, very positive. I think there is a, um, an element of recognition that they want to continue to serve their members. They want to continue to serve the, the community and to do so effectively and remain relevant, what they might have to change. Right. Uh, they have to evolve. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really important because I think... Um, and you're seeing that happen. Well, you know, yeah, there's there's glimpses of, in, in, yeah. of that. And I think that's positive. And, um, and, I, and I think there, there's an opportunity here um, as the demographic of the membership changes across the province. And, and it is, let's, you know, let's be realistic. I mean, you know, my kids are in their 30s. I don't think they've ever been in a bank in the last 10 years. <laughs> you know, um, So uh, that's changing. So how are you going to attract the newer demographic, the new Canadians that have come to, to the province and to come to Canada generally? What are they looking for? Can the credit unions provide that? And I think they can. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just so the credit unions are talking, what do we need to do to get there? Yeah. Uh, so that's what's really pumped me up. There's risks involved, obviously. Um, scale is the biggest one. Um, and the reality is you have some credit unions that might only have four or five employees. How, you know, how can they physically meet the obligations of a changing um, economy um, and the current structure? Yeah. It doesn't mean they're not going to be successful, but if they want to continue to grow and expand, you know, it's a business decision. Yeah. There, these are considerations that have to be taken into, uh, into account. Yeah. Yeah. Great. 
Well, Chris, this has been a fantastic conversation. Well, I thank really you. appreciate I you coming it. in today. This is, uh, we're going to leave it on that. This is, uh, hopefully maybe we can have you back again sometime, but this is, this is great. I'm, I'm really glad to hear that you've joined these guys. You came with high regard from uh, Meridad. Meridad, if you're listening, thanks for uh, recommending Chris come in and um, appreciate coming on the show. I appreciate being with you. I look yeah. forward to speaking to you anytime. Thank you very much. And uh, hopefully you have, continue to have uh, good uh, safety and health as we go through these tough times with COVID. Chris Elgar uh, from BCFSA. Thanks for being on the show today. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks.